Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, Yornman Gander, that's me. Ah, very hey, nice. This can be the intro. I'm Scott Telford, you're Josh Brown. Hello, Scott Telford. Hello, this is the wind-up where we just wind each other up about stuff. And also, this is God of All Ragnarok's full balls out, smashing the balls, Yornman Gander, whatever word I have, spoiler cast. Um, I was going to go into a spoiler to, to finish that pun off. Very good. Giant it's, balls. Giant balls. It's relating to the very end. Um, which you'll know, um, people who are listening to this, if you've uh, managed to edit the levels of your podcast while you're recording. And yeah, we thought we'd dive into all the spoilers because there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of themes. There's a lot of different character developments, etc. And I have been dying for people to finish this game. Um, obviously, I called it the thumbnail when we did the initial review. I called it one of the riskiest sequels in years or something. Um, I, I, we've talked loads about how, at least I think, it takes a long time to play its hand. Um, and I want to get your just general thoughts on having finished it because we're going to dive into some specific stuff. Um, but I've not actually recorded or talked to you about no. the thing that I absolutely love about it, even though it's kind of come up in, in bits and pieces. But I want to know what your thoughts are Which overall. is nuts, right? We are coming off the back of recording three back-to-back God of War yeah, videos about Ragnarok. <laughs> and we still have so much yet to talk about, which yeah. we're going to jump into on this podcast. Scott, I've been looking forward to this all week. I yeah. finished it like two days after we did the Monday podcast. Yes. And I have got my coffee. I have smashed the worst vegan sausage roll I've ever <laughs> eaten just before this started nice. uh, recording. I was going to say, but what did you have for lunch? But carry on. Very nice. Yep. Uh, and yes, yeah, so my overall thoughts on God of War Ragnarok. Uh, well, where to begin? Ooh. Well, here's the thing. It's it's one of my favorite games of the past few years. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. up there for me with the best um, PlayStation exclusives specifically. Yep. I love the thematic weight of its story. And ultimately, I do think it is head and shoulders above the quality of God of War 2018. Oh, for me, God. if I had... One room, and I had the two games in front of me, and I had mm. one bullet and had to kill one. <laughs> God of War 2018 would die every time because oh. I think while it might not be as consistent uh-huh. in terms of its you know plotting, in terms of its characterization, it does drop the ball in a few things. Its highs are so high that I almost don't um, mind that. And we'll get into specifics yeah. soon, but overall, I think it's a big game. It's an ambitious game. It doesn't mm. get everything right, but what it does get right resonates hard. I think, yeah, it's one of those games where the more I play it, or I go back to it, because I'm going to do a whole other run. I bought the God of War controller, which arrived yesterday. It's very nice. And uh, and I'm, I'm going to do a whole other run through it and just mop every last bit of it up. But I've been doing a lot more side stuff. And I do love living in that world, especially in the end game. Um, but yeah, I always find that like 2018's game, when I think about both of them, I think about 2018's as just more 
uh, like just incredible. The fact that they took this character that was known for one thing, just a giant rage emoji of a character, and then like rounded him out in such a fantastic way. And the imagine the thematic ground that they covered there was just so essential. We didn't realize that we knew we needed it. And Corey's been on Corey Barlow, the creative director of both games, has been on Twitter talking about how you know we know what stories are from books and movies and uh, TV and video game stories are kind of coming into their own now, and they, they wanted to be part of something different or greater or whatever going forward. And I feel like, and I mentioned this in the review, but it wasn't with specifics, that God of War Ragnarok is this extension of what kind of started in 2018 as this medium advancing, medium elevating story that can only be done in video games. And by that, I think it's things that the likes of The Last of Us 2 and Red Dead Redemption 2 have tapped into where you're living as a character for a huge amount of time and you're feeling specific things and not just elation or fun or satisfaction through game mechanics, but sadness and grief and anger and like, oh my God, they're making me do this thing. Mm. And then channeling that as an intentional part on the dev side. And so to, to round that out to what Ragnarok does, I think the God of War Ragnarok is the best depiction of parenthood or what that, well, however you want to take that in gaming or in maybe any medium so far because of the active agency you have as a player yeah. and because they play specific cards of... Um, you know, you're playing as Kratos, you're playing as the parent, you're playing as the guardian, looking after Atreus, who has his own agency and watching that agency develop, which fundamentally relies on what happened in 2018. Yeah. Um, but they do all sorts of things where it's like, oh my, and they make you play as Atreus. So you see it from his point of view. They kind of uh, Ellie and Abby it from Last of Us 2 a little bit. Um, and just that general thing of playing the opening of the game, going, this isn't how it should be done. This isn't how I would handle it. Me as a player, as an older person, or I'm like 33. <laughs> and also the way that I assume Kratos wants to handle things, but I have faith in the new generation. I have faith in the kid and I want to trust them to let them do their own thing and how far do you let that meet out? And I feel yeah. like the overall story is just about that um, and the acceptance on behalf of the parent that your kid will go and like fly the nest eventually but how much do you put of yourself do you put into them and how much do you trust them to make their own mistakes? And like, yes, fire is hot but should they actually get burned and things like that. And by the time we get to the end, we'll just talk about whatever comes to mind as we go. Um, that understanding on Kratos' part of, you know, uh, Loki will go, but Atreus will stay. I still remember when I moved out, my mum's face when I closed the door on my own first place. Yeah. And her just having to accept that I'd moved out. And it's like the same thing of like Atreus has to leave and do his own thing. Um, but there'll always be a part of that child, quote unquote, in the parent. And I think that they make that playable and interactive. And it's that quality that nothing else has done. And I don't know if anything else ever will. I think you're right, man. Like I fully agree that the thematics that you've just delved into there mm. are the game's biggest strength. And mm. I also love how you get to see that played out across the whole game. And for mm. me, it is those thematics that elevates it compared to 2018's game. For me, true, 2018's true. game is great, but it's about a character becoming human. It's about a character mm. learning how to be a human. Like a video game character becoming human. 100%. Yeah. And that is very valuable. That is offers great drama. But to me, God of War Ragnarok is about that character then living as a human. And True. living as a human is much harder. It's much more complicated. <laughs> there are no right or wrong answers mm. often. It, and you exist in this kind of weird space where you don't know if what you're doing is going to be the correct choice for you and the people you love, especially when you're a parent like Kratos is. Mm. Are you putting your kid on the right path when like you said mm. are you not trusting them enough when are you letting them do too much like how do you navigate these waters without 
losing them, without cutting ties with them yeah. and having them resent you. This game asks all of those questions, and that's kind of why I love it. I'll stop comparing it to 2018's game after this <laughs> point, but I keep coming back to one of the most talked about scenes in that game, and that's when Atreus kind of goes off the rails mm. after he finds out that he's a god, and he goes very arrogant. He starts becoming filled with like hubris and he's exuding this kind of elitism that he is now yeah he is now bigger than humanity he's bigger than everyone else and they are puny compared to him yes that's great dramatic mileage to get out of that situation and it's really fun in that game so but relevant to, me, to the franchise as well 100% but to me the philosophical questions that come from that aren't necessarily that complex because ultimately at the mm. end of the day the answer to the question of should my kid be allowed to think he's better than everyone else and start murdering people is a straight no. (laughs) Whereas the questions about parenthood that the game asks in Ragnarok, like we were just talking there, Mm. at what point do you you trust your child to, you know, trust their own instincts? And at one point, do you let them fly the coop, as it were? Mm -hmm. There's no straight yes or no answer to any of those and that's why I like thinking about them yeah and it's why I'm excited for the rest of this podcast true I I will say that the the depth that I got out of that um relationship between Kratos and Atreus in 2018 when Atreus becomes a god in the same way that um, Kratos did in the original God of War 2 um was that Kratos was forced to then deal with someone who was acting the way he was around other people and the mileage he was in like you know the answer is obvious in that regard of like you know you probably shouldn't go crazy and kill people. They answered that in God of War 2. Like, you know, um, yeah. Athena makes him really small and strips his powers away and stuff. But the mileage for me was that conversation on video game violence and giving into um, that level of action and, and being better than just slicing everything into tin and into ribbons because you can. Um, and that was obviously what Kratos used to represent. He was like the tip of the spear for all that stuff. Like if Mortal Kombat and Doom were that for the 90s, it was God of War for the all of the 2000s. Yeah. Um, and that was just such an interesting conversation on even the maturation of the medium. Like it was, I felt like he was just such an embodiment of that conversation and if he can be better, and if he can reflect on his past, and if his um, the rage meter in the old games, or like whatever the Spartan meter thing, can become an actual dealing with anger management thematic, then that's phenomenal. And I was like, that's all of that is a living embodiment of a commentary on video game history, at least to me. And I feel like even the fact that it was the same people responsible for all those games yeah. having that conversation, that is, in, that is almost nigh infinite depth on how far did we go in those old games, um, not just God of War, but in general, and how much we gave into those mentalities across different decades. So that was the mileage for me just to like that's what I loved about the 2018 one that's why I can talk about that thing forever oh totally and I fully agree with that reading of it as well Mm. I'm just sort of when I when I compare them I'm comparing comparing them specifically about what they have to say about parenthood I guess yeah yeah. obviously there's so much thematic depth it's interesting because like even the fact of like having a conversation on parenthood even Kratos wouldn't know how to have that conversation in the 2018 one yeah um so it's like they're building up to be able to have those conversations which is obviously where they get to at the end of this one oh man well this is what I love (laughs) and we talked about it briefly in the podcast last Monday Mm -hmm. however we can now talk about it within the context of all the spoilers which I'm excited about and mm-hmm. it's what you mentioned there about the first 10 hours, maybe even more, of this game. Mm. You're saying, like, I if these two characters just talked about their feelings, if they came together and discussed these mm. issues, they would be on the same page. And people might get frustrated by that, but I was loving that drama because that is the point that they're making, mm-hmm. that, you know, that is easier said than done. It is literally easier to say, oh, I should have talked to so-and-so about this issue that I had, mm. but actually doing it, it's hard, and it leads people on divergent paths like this. Yes. I'd say just super quickly, I've just realized as we're talking about this that they... 
it's the reason that the beginning feels so off is that you're ostensibly playing a support character. Like yeah. at the very beginning, Kratos is like jumped right into Atreus can lead the way. I'm going to assume he's ready, whatever. And it's it's like the Metal Gear Solid Two thing, which like doesn't get talked about in a positive way that much. Of like you play as Raiden to view Snake in a different light. That's what Kojima was always doing. Yes, like making a greater hero from someone else's perspective. Um, and it's not that Kratos views Atreus as a hero, but you're along for the ride in a way um, that you weren't in the original. You were leading the way in across 2018. Whereas in this one, he's like, I'm done. Atreus knows what to do. Yeah. I trust him. He's my son. Cool. Um, and how that feels and like the positives and the negatives of how that feels. Absolutely, man. And just to kind of go back to what you were talking about uh, previously about them finally having that conversation at the end in mm. stuff. And um, what I love about that is that it takes them the whole game to get to that point, more or less. You get that great mm. midsection where they reunite after um, Atreus goes to Asgard and they, they have to hug. clean up his mess in Helheim and they finally hug and Kratos says he's sorry. Mm. But it's a long road to get to that. And I like, for me, one of the most pivotal scenes in the game, or sections in the game, is when Kratos goes to create the god-killing spear to kill Heimdall. Because I love that as a parallel, right? This is a guy who can easily, very easily, go off an adventure Mm. to find a mystical spear that should not exist. Go to the bottom of the ocean to find a crazy mythological blacksmith to create (laughs) this spear so he could kill a a god. And to him, that journey, that act is easier than just sitting down with his kid and talking to him. (laughs) And I love that, how they uh, kind of like drive that home through gameplay and when you get back and you've done this crazy thing without Atreus and Atreus comes back and says what's that spear what have you been up to and he still kind of doesn't want to open up he's not even able to say why he did it because at that point he doesn't want to talk about the prophecy and I just love that those series of actions to Kratos and to a lot of people are way easier than sitting down and having a frank discussion about your own mortality. Because mm. at that point, Kratos has seen the mural, Atreus has seen the mural, and none of them kind of want to acknowledge it directly, mm. the fact that Kratos might die and probably will die mm. one day and leave them alone. Like, that is too difficult, but going off and maybe just killing a god, that's that, <laughs> that's easy for him. That's another day at the office for Kratos. Yeah. I think the thing that's worth flagging as well is, because um, I, I think, if you think of um, Kratos, as, like, I think of him as like this big sort of oak tree, this big, like, ancient kind of, ancient in terms of the amount of things he's been through. Um, you know, a staple of the environment, staple of a certain mentality. Like, he has all these different disciplines and everything. Um, but he's almost like a suit of armor. He sort of cracks in different ways. And it's like, he's this big stone statue thing. Various insert description for solid thing. Um, but I love the little cracks in his armor, the cracks in his sort of general facade or whatever that you get on the side missions or just yeah. in exploration in general. That's one thing that's really worth pointing out is that I would argue that maybe the best character writing isn't in the main story. It's not that things in the main story aren't incredible, but some of the stuff that a lot of people came here for, um, the Kratos and Atreus stuff, them just teaming up, you get the most of that by doing the side stuff because if mm-hmm. you just mainline, then that's Kratos by himself. That's a little bit of Kratos and Atreus. Um, that's a lot of Atreus by himself. That's some of Kratos and Freya. Like if you just want to spend time with Kratos and Atreus, you have to choose to do that and just mop up a lot of the side stuff. And they're all really good um, side missions. Yeah. But um, in terms of like cracks in his armor, there's some really good bits of dialogue where um, there's one bit where like Atreus asks Kratos like about what was your training like when you were becoming a Spartan? And he's like, is that why you pushed me so hard? Um, no, no, is that why you didn't push me so hard? And Kratos says... Um, He's like, and Atreus says, do you not think I could take it? Um, and it, and Kratos just says, I didn't think you should have to. Yeah. And it's just little things like that where it's like he cares in his own way, like which is such an old school phrase for a lot of like parenting and generational yes. conversations of like they loved you in their own way. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that happens with a lot of 
advancement of those conversations is not just in their own way assumptive uh, meanings of emotions, but like having to actually hugging your son, hugging your father, and like being able to or parent and being able to have those not necessarily right on the nose Mamiya conversations, but things that are a bit more obvious. Go on to Mamiya for a second. I want to defend it. that moment where sick of him. <laughs> <laughs> I want to defend Get him out that moment it. again because it's one of my favorite parts of the whole game and mm. I think kind of sums up my whole feelings on the theme of communication and miscommunication in this game. So it's the moment where you go to free the first haufugas. I'm going to describe big, it as big the fish. big jellyfish, jellyfish thing. And all the way through that um, section, Atreus is, is very suspicious of why Kratos wants to do this in the first place. Because mm. to him, it's very out of character for Kratos to agree to go on a mission that is altruistic, that mm. is going to just exist not to get him a new spear, not to get him any treasure, but is going to help a being in need. Mm. And all the way through, Atreus is like, why are you doing this? Are you trying to impart a message that I just don't get yet? Like, what's going on? At the end of it, when you free the thing, he asks one more time, and that's when Mumia finally cuts in and says the line, (laughs) he just wants to spend time with you while he can, lad. And I know you don't like that, but what I love about that specifically, and specifically with Mumia being the one to say that and explain it to Atreus, is that Mm. at that point in the game, which is quite early on, Kratos is not in a position to be that open with his kid. He's not mm. in a position to be vulnerable. And I know that you said in last week's podcast, you kind of viewed that as Mamiya robbing the moment from Kratos. To me, I view it as Mamiya giving the moment to Kratos. Because in that situation specifically, I don't think Kratos would have ever said that on his own free will, on Maybe his own not. volition. At that point in the game. And mm. that's why I loved it that he was kind of like trying to build those bridges between them so they can get to the point where Kratos's loving actions, which mm. this was, can be communicated to Atreus through words, which he evidently needs. He, yeah. Like I was, you mentioned there about you know your parents viewing you when you left university, and obviously I think left, everyone has left a, um, the house. I meant like when I house. first moved out. Yeah. Well, there you go. I think a lot of people have a similar story about that because I remember when I first moved into university, so mm. I was leaving the house for the first time. And my dad hadn't really said much about it. I knew he cared yeah. about like why, like me going, being the first of his children to leave home or whatever. Mm-hmm. I knew he, I knew he probably cared. But I remember just as they were about to leave, after they kind of dropped my stuff off at the apartment that I was um, like living in, mm-hmm. and he like gave me a hug, and he was like crying a little bit, <laughs> and he didn't say anything. Uh-huh. He didn't have to say, you know. I love you, I'm going to miss you, or anything like that. And it was just in that moment where suddenly his actions sort of informed what he was feeling that I just wasn't picking up on before then. And I would have needed to have been told before then that he was going to miss me or something because I wouldn't have got it through his actions, even though he was obviously trying to convey that with his whatever he was doing at the time. And I like that Kratos... Your granddad there. leans in. He says, he's just trying to take care of you. Like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's and just that, letting you know. It genuinely, I would have needed me mum to, <laughs> to say something like that, to be right. like... I would have been like, you know, like, why isn't my dad too bothered about this? And mm. she would have needed to be like, no, he is, but he's just, he's not going to talk about it. Right. And yeah. then you only know that he feels that way because you see a, a crack in the mm. armor, like you mentioned there. And I like that this game gets those moments right for me, that kind of the non-spoken intent behind these loving actions that mm. to a kid isn't always visible and you need that little bit more as a kid specifically mm. to understand exactly how anyone feels about you. Yeah. It's not that it doesn't serve a purpose. I just for me it was just like I would have rather had I would have rather had Kratos 
like say something or I don't know, I just would have rather had Kratos say something than, than Mamiya in that specific instance, even though like, I get that like that scene worked more for you than me. I think that's good that like depending on what your um, parents approach to affection was or what like, showing emotion or whatever, that it can work for different people in different ways. I mean, I, I didn't even hug my dad until we, until I graduated yeah. and it was like, which isn't necessarily a sad thing. We were very close, but we just didn't like, we just didn't hug. I mean, it's like that, I don't know if it's a generational thing. Like I said, I'm like 33. Um, but I remember when I graduated and I did the ceremony and I was outside and I saw my parents again and we just like, we just all hugged and I got to hug my dad. It was like a one-on-one thing. And it, I just remember, I remember thinking, I don't know if he even knows this, but I remember thinking I've never hugged you before. Or been back when I was like five years old or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember thinking that was like a nice moment. Um, in terms of Kratos Atreus stuff um, and like that whole crack in the armor thing, there's a great bit. Um, the thing with having so much random dialogue in the side stuff is that you can tackle them in any order. Mm-hmm. So it's sometimes a bit hard to say like Kratos was here at this point in the story because for me, I remember him being quite open about stuff, but I don't know if I did side stuff later than you or whatever. Um, but there is a bit where um, you're just exploring, I forget which realm it's in, it might be Vanaheim, um, with Atreus. And um, Atreus is just saying, look, last time you fought Thor, you almost got killed. And to yeah. some people, you did get killed. Um, he just res- Thor res- resurrects you if you die in the first fight. Um, you know, there's no way Way you can overcome him um how can you possibly stand a chance next time and Kratos says next time I'll have you and um Atreus just kind of takes a minute and he's like whoa mm. that's it that's all you get and I'm like I that's what I want from Kratos there's really good like um probably through a few writers meetings what's the most condensed way he can say this um they're more powerful for me than than a, than a support character spelling it out and for me personally right um which is why I, I long for just Kratos opening up like he's such a tome yes. of a person that I, anytime he remotely cracks open a little bit I find it fascinating and I agree man in that longing for him to open up I think is intentional by the game like mm. I said that those first I was you just begging them to talk but what I just to circle back is what I love about the game fundamentally is that you have to wait until those conversations feel right for those characters mm-hmm. until they're in a position where they can have them so to me the longing is a point yes uh, and then when you finally do kind of crack into it properly with the reunion scene mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then oh, totally. they are able to just you know have these conversations naturally without any awkwardness without any worry mm-hmm. and then that kind of th- their relationship is transformed from that point well that was the thing that, yeah when I'm saying about all this random dialogue and, and Kratos opening I don't mean that you can get it at the beginning of the game mm-hmm. I, I have to imagine that all of this um, the more openness even if it's uh, through random dialogue is all after the reunion scene it kind of has to be I'm pretty sure they railroad you until that point you can do some side stuff um, but those more open conversations must come after Yeah, <clears throat> they certainly did for me or you um, yeah that scene I remember that whole opening bit because I've talked before about how I really didn't like playing as Atreus not that the combat wasn't solid enough but I just didn't want to play as him at that point um, but I was in the back of my mind aware that they were doing something this was a card they were playing they were building up to something and I was always curious what that was and it ties in with the Red Dead stuff or the Last of Us 2 stuff where like Red Dead 2 is in intentionally super slow and super plodding because it's the old west it would be that way of life is slow and plodding and violence you know the the whole depiction of violence and and camaraderie and stuff it works because everything else is a part of the greater whole yeah and um the whole time i was going through this opening bit of this game i was just like okay what are you playing you want me to kind of feel like this you want me to miss kratos you want me to kind of yearn for his um guidance and what we're supposed to be doing and you kind of want me to be a bit aimless with atreus and hoping for the best and trying these things where is this going and and it, it goes into the reunion and the fact that they max that, they cap that off with the hug um, that they've never done before. No. Like he's put an arm over him or something, like on his shoulder to um, Kratos has to uh, comfort Atreus. But when they finally hug, I mean, I love a hug in anything. Like I'm a 
big hugging man. I like a hug. <laughs> and uh, I like when characters hug and stuff. I just think it's like such a, it is a literal embrace. You couldn't be closer to that person. I love it. And uh, and so like when they hugged as the payoff of, uh, for me, 15 hours of preamble, yeah. um, that was where it kicked off. And I was like, okay, this is what we're doing. It's about them learning they can invest in each other for a greater whole. And you get that trophy called Better Together. And um, not in that moment, you get it one, one of the boss fights later after you do that insane combo. Yes. Um, which is one of my other favorite things in the whole game where they quick time event the idea of them teaming up, which yeah, you've man. done for so many bosses, but not to that degree, where um, Kratos launches Atreus from his chains with a quick time event, and the two of you take them down, and Atreus also becomes a bear, and it's just everything, and it, they almost do like a slow motion stand there together yes, thing, they do. and it says better together, and I was like, this is this is unbelievably on point. 100%. So yeah, but it, it wouldn't work if they didn't, quote unquote, drag things out beforehand. That's right, and to be honest, I do like that they drag things out, quote unquote, yep. for the whole game. To me, it's important that a lot of the game play is supported by that Mamiya line of he just wants to spend time with you lad while he can Mm. because the thing hanging over both of these characters for most of the game is the idea that if Ragnarok happens Kratos will die Mm -hmm. and then Atreus will be left with no one. Both of them are reckoning with that Mm -hmm. so I like the more lethargic pace of the game and how much it pushes you towards side missions because like metatextually I want to spend more time with these characters and I want these characters to have more time with each other. So yeah, even though we should probably be focusing on what <laughs> Odin's doing, maybe now is time to go explore a crater yeah. for three hours because you only get a finite amount of time with the people you love and you want to make the most of that rather than rushing to the end. And That's they're letting I, you choose. Like, yeah. you know, you're, you're embodying Kratos' mindset at that point, which is such an interesting, as of right now, I'm realizing that's an interesting comment on, you know, when can I, like, I'm like, okay, like this challenge is ahead of me, maybe during the work day. I'm like, I'll get all that stuff out the way and then I'll have my lunch break or yeah. whatever it is. And I'm, I'm prioritizing, like, let me get a full picture of what I'm dealing with and then I can do the other stuff that's more important to me. Um, whereas I feel like you're way better at going like, I'll get to that, but I'm going to have some food first or whatever it is. <laughs> I never and, used um, to be but I am now. Right, and yeah, it's just, that's interesting, that whole idea of, like, when given the idea of playing as Kratos in God of War Ragnarok with a whole bunch of stuff to do, but a main thing to get to, I want to get the main thing done because then I can relax into the other things, yeah. which is my overall approach to, like, work or my overall approach to approach to tasks in life because I'm loving all the endgame stuff that you do with Freya, um, even though I actively miss Atreus. We talk about that as well. Um, but I love that they even let you play that mentality out. It's kind of like it's a, a push and pull in how much you think that's intentional. I'm going to go with it's intentional. Yeah, um, because so. it's like it's up to you how much time you want to spend with the trace in that moment. Whereas for me, when I was first going through it, I didn't. I just wanted to know what I'm dealing with and what what cards are you playing on the Ragnarok side and the prophecy side that I can actually get a hold of and control and how much yeah. is it going to let me control them. And I think it's a happy accident, probably, mm. but maybe there's some intention behind it in that you don't know when you're going to switch to a trace. You don't mm. know when these characters are going to be split up. So even though Kratos doesn't die in the end, you're still <laughs> playing through the game and completing side missions, knowing that at some point they're going to be split up again or probably right. they're going to be split up again mm-hmm. and that's why every time i got hold of atreus and kratos as companions i made sure i did as much side content as i yeah. could because you don't know when that is going to end you don't know when your time is going to be up mm. and i do think that that does play into the larger theme of you know mortality spending time with people while you can mm-hmm. and to uh, develop what you were saying there from my own perspective mm. you know i do think spending time with Atreus, just doing kind of side missions while the world the world's end is looming is important because it does drive the point home of like you can be so 
enamored with or so obsessed with the big picture that you miss the important stuff, which mm. ultimately is the journey along the way. <laughs> it's the time that you spend with people on the day to day today. Mm-hmm. Yes, stuff like your career is important. Yes, like the big picture can be important, but mm-hmm. not to the detriment of the stuff that makes life worth living in the first place. Yes. And in this case, that's Kratos' relationship with his son. Mm-hmm. So the way I was playing it, I didn't want to rush towards Ragnarok because I'm rushing towards the end. I'm rushing towards <laughs> never having these experiences with this kid again, mm-hmm. or even worse, losing experiences because I didn't finish the side mission and oh my god, now Brock's dead. What are we going to do about that? <laughs> That's one of the things that, yeah, I said we'd come back to is that idea of they actively make you miss Atreus at the end. I think that's a great, like, creative risk, quote-unquote, but I also think, obviously, it's intentional. They want you, if, if that whole idea of you're playing as a parent, so it's like you should have that feeling of, like, it's like whenever you say to, like, one of your parents, like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm coming home at Christmas, now I'll just stay an extra day or stay a bit longer, and you're like, do you want to come over today? Do you want to do this? And it's just that idea of, like, there is always going to be that longing, and I think that, like, there's, that you and almost in a way, it's like you're, uh, any parents almost shouldn't be, like, super happy with, like, losing um, a part of themselves kind of thing or the kid forever kind of thing they're always going to be happy for you to come back in whatever degree um, and I think that the fact that they quote unquote gamified that is like fascinating and by gamifying I just mean you've put it into a video game yeah. and made us feel it um, there is such a sense of longing at the end um, where it's not that I don't love the way Freya is depicted and everything but I just missed Atreus so much that I I'd actually made a separate save because I kind of I just kind of had a feeling that something will happen and I'll not be able to get back to like to, but just before the end Yeah. so um, that bit after they've made the reunion it's right near the end but one of the last goals that you have is like go to T temple to uh, advance the story and I was like this is a good point for me to put a pin in in time like um, Kratos and Atreus are on good footing together and um, if I want to make a save that'll let me mop everything up it should be this point in time yeah and so after I hit the credits and I was like quote-unquote stuck with Freya I um, mopped up all the stuff all the little mini um, Asgard missions because I thought they would trigger maybe Atreus came back and maybe you'd see him again um, and so I did the Brock funeral. I did all the Asgard stuff. I wandered around. I met through in Anaheim. Um, yeah, Anaheim. Did all that stuff. Atreus didn't turn up. And I was like, I, I miss him too much. I'm yeah. loading my old save. If I'm going to spend time mopping everything up, I'll do it with Atreus because I want that dialogue. And then I went through all that stuff and I spent a whole day doing all the crater and doing all the um, a lot of the side stuff with Atreus. And then I was like, cool. Like, I've checked in with my son. I've checked in with yes. him. It's like when I go to see my parents every Sunday. Hi, <laughs> mom and dad. If you listen to the podcast, you don't. But I went to, whenever I see them, and it's just like you've checked in. It's like that little thing that people do. You check in. You have your life, but you check in. Yeah. And I, I sort of did that with Atreus. Uh, it was on an old save. And then I was like, cool. I want to know what's next. And I went back to my Freya save. And then I did all the new dialogue. I went and met Tia um, again, because you can go find Tia in Niflheim. Um, and I did that, and that felt more purposeful and propulsive. And yes. like, that felt what I should be doing. And it's just like, I like that the game lets you um, like go back in time uh, using the save system. <clears throat> and uh, I think that's, even that is a great reality of video games. Totally, man. And I do like what you were talking about there, that in the end game, you do miss them. I yeah. didn't really have a save that was up to date enough where I could come back and, you know, just jump back in with Atreus mm. without losing a lot of progress. But it meant that when I was, you know, having adventures with Freya, who I do think is a great companion, mm-hmm. it was kind of like, I was in my parents' headspace of thinking, oh, I would love to just phone a trace up ask him if he's coming back for the weekend is he can he come back for friday night yeah, you want exactly. to stop over i want to see you man i've yeah. missed you you know what i mean i know you're out living your life but i've spent so much of my life with you yeah exactly. i want to spend more time with you and i like that like you said you know that's can only really happen in, in the reality of parenthood because you've played it and yes it is the reality of being a parent or even being a child in kind of realizing 
are kind of trying to negotiate the terms of, I know that if you had your way, <laughs> you would have me live with you forever. Yeah. And that is totally fine. I understand it. But I've got to do my own thing. Yeah, how do exactly. we find a middle ground? And are you going to guilt me into staying an extra night? Are you? <laughs> Again, how do I not feel bad about that, mom? Yeah. Um, and I just, yeah, like it got me. This game, considering it's about gods, killing other gods and giant snakes in the end of the world and going back in time and giants and everything else. <laughs> it is such a human story at heart. Yes. And I didn't, I wasn't genuinely anticipating how much it was going to make me think about my own life, my friends' lives, mm. my parents' lives, all of that stuff. Because like I said, the drama in 2018's game was good, but it never got to that level to this extent, to the point no, where true. I was proper reminiscing, proper thinking about my own experiences in different ways. And that's just... The the best fiction does that, I think. Totally. And the best games do that. Yeah, well, that was the thing when I came out of... Um, but I guess for that, the, quickly for that point, I feel that 2018's God of War is like this open-ended conversation on, on video games and entertainment and violence in video games. Kind of what Hotline Miami was like, you enjoy hurting other people, don't you? And then yeah. f- fleshing that out. And um, Whereas this is like, because we've had that conversation, almost as like a wider populace able to have these wider conversations, um, it, it is that more human conversation. Okay, we've, we've established what like, different things can be said about different, um, you know... Uh, depictions of violence in entertainment. What what what's next? What should we do next? And uh, and grounding ourselves and have those having those kind of conversations. Um, but yeah, I feel like just that that idea of like what do you, where do you go with Kratos in this game and like fleshing out the family side of it and making you think about um, grounding godhood um, and portrayals of masculinity and stuff is just super worthwhile. Which is. Um, I was going to say we should talk about Thor and Odin as, like, presences in the story. I was just about to ask if we could transition into those characters because they obviously mirror Kratos and Atreus so much. They are fascinating characters in their own right, such great performances, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I love how they kind of continue the commentary on what it means to be a parent and how different parenting styles can lead to different situations Mm -hmm. and whatnot. Uh, Thor, as a character, I knew I was going to like him. But I didn't expect to relate to him so much. Mm. I like that he's this big mess who's had this, <laughs> you know, incredibly dark past where he was yeah. a genocidal drunk for most part. Also for grew up part. abused by Odin. Grew up abused by Odin, completely brainwashed by his father. Mm. You know, let two of his sons die and, you know, was really horrible to them. Mm. But then was trying to be better for Thrud and was trying to be better for Sif after coming to this realization that he needs to stop drinking, for one, and he needs to be a better man. Similar yeah. to how Atreus in Kratos get to the point where they both decide they need to be better, Kratos especially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love that characterization with Thor, and I love the performance by Ryan Hurst, I think it is. I think so, rings a bell, yeah. Yes, uh, but specifically the scene that you get later on when you return to Asgard for the last time as Atreus mm. before the final battle, and you are you have to go see Thor because Thor has started drinking again. He's mm. in the tavern because he's got all of these issues with his own dad, and he's blaming Atreus for driving a wedge between them mm. and you have this kind of like fun fight where Thor is drunk and he's smashing up the place but then you get this like really tender scene between Thrude and Thor yep. where she kind of says like she's, she's talking to him as she would anyone like any other person that she knew who wasn't her father mm. and she's saying like you need to be better like I can't believe you've done this again mm-hmm. a really frank a really raw conversation about addiction or alcoholism or whatever it is whatever whatever your vice thing, is whatever your vice is whatever thing you have that is driving a wedge between people and I love that she is incensed and rightly incensed mm by his actions, but then she ends the conversation being like, look, I don't have to like you in this moment, but we're here for you at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, we will help you through this, but realize that you're being a dick, <laughs> and I'm going to call you out and be a dick, and you can't just make this right by saying sorry, but we'll be on this journey together. I thought yeah. that was, like, 
considering they don't get too much screen time in the game, that five minute sequence had so much depth to it that again it was a it was a moment that got me thinking about my own relationships and I was playing that section through with my girlfriend mm. and she felt incredibly seen at that time right uh, you know having that conversation play out and she was like I've I've had that conversation you know what I mean yeah, like, I've had yeah, that conversation same, yeah. I've had a version of that conversation mm-hmm. and again that's just a testament to the quality of the writing that that can come through in what is essentially a five minute sequence in a thirty seven hour. I think as well, like, it's that whole thing of if you're on the if you're on the younger side of that exchange, like you're like the the child trying to do something better for the a parent or whatever, like whatever way you want to split that in terms of like younger older mentalities, um, that whole underlying thing of like yes, like love is there regardless of how like much I like the thing you're in the middle of right now, um, and sort of representing that in a video game, even though you don't like play it or anything, you are thrown into it, um, and I think that's really really effective. It's also like a testament to how much you need to view um, God of War Ragnarok as holistic as possible and factor in all the random dialogue as much as possible because there is a conversation that Mamiya has. It's when you're just exploring Midgard um, and they're just talking about Thor. Like, I think just Mamiya is telling Atreus about Thor um, and he just says that like, yeah, when he was brought up, Odin um, would like physically abuse him and like it didn't... Mamiya refers to it and I should know the exact quote but I don't have the specific line but he does say something about this uh, broken version of manhood that gets passed down through generations and it manifests in different ways and you see it in Thor like he's drinking his problems away. Um, which is something that, like, you know, many of us have seen in real life for people. Like, yeah. it, it happens. And um, that idea of the, the general mentality of, like, trying to be better can apply to various things, whether it's just, like, being more open or whatever. But I just think that tapping into that is such a, a worthwhile conversation. And the fact that it comes from a God of War game is something that the yeah. old God of Wars you would never have seen coming. 100%, man. Like, just, I I didn't see it coming in this game. Like, <laughs> like I said, like, the specific thing in that scene with Thor, specifically with Throod, is, like, it's drinking but it could be it could be anything like it got yeah. me thinking about my own relationship with my dad mm-hmm. and his relationship with gambling and it was like right. okay everything's coming kind of full circle everything is coming out and it was a conversation that was cathartic because mm. it was a conversation I wish I could have had with people in my life if yeah. that makes sense where wish I got to say those things to certain people mm-hmm. and how would our relationship have changed not necessarily referring to my dad by the way I'm not mm-hmm. just slagging him off this whole podcast <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean like get you thinking about the relationship you have in your life and mm-hmm. how would you would would you have wanted to say those things? I think as well, et cetera, like, et cetera, et cetera. totally, like, that side of it, um, not to cut you off there, sorry. No, sorry. Um, just that side of it where, um, and I totally understand why someone who um, who has maybe turned to alcoholism would think, I'm. this is only my problem, I'm just doing this, and this is how I deal with it, and I'm not being a burden to someone else, and I'll just internalize it this way and not have to uh, burden anyone else with it. And, and then on the younger side, like, um, seeing that happen and being thrown into that and just kind of having to have those, like, really honest conversations with someone of, like, this is affecting me because I went noticing and we need to have these conversations. Um, and, you know, and the support is here. Like, it's this isn't a way to deal with it. Um, and, like, you know, you referenced, like, your dad and gambling and stuff. But it could be anything. It could be, like, um, mental health issues or whatever it is. And just yeah. being, being there for someone and making sure they know it and knowing that they're not being weak or whatever. I think we're getting there. I think all those conversations are happening across the board. I feel like even the likes of, we're not sponsored by BetterHelp. We might be, but not maybe not right now on this podcast. We have been in the past. But even the likes of those services being more readily available, I think it's all a, a net positive. And the fact that those thematics are in here, I love to see. Um, because I've been in the th- in the thrued position before, um, and I think that that's a, a fascinating reality to see um, depicted with such maturity in such a relatable way. Yeah. Um, in terms of um, Odin, because you get like Odin's barely in this. I think that that's one of the things that um, well, he is and he isn't. It's, it's like it's the paradox, <laughs> isn't it? He's in it, but He's you don't it. know. Um, but not not in his uh, in his skin, not in his uh, the way that you'd expect. They're not in the way that you see at the beginning. He is masquerading as Tia the entire time. That's one of the biggest twists towards the end of the game. Um, and in terms of Odin, um, I forget the name of the dude 
dude that they got, but it's a guy from the West Wing, um, which I didn't even realize it was him. But then when I looked at the picture of the dude from the West Wing, I was like, oh, of course it's you. That is your face. Yeah. Like Deborah Ann Wool is Faye uh, from Daredevil. I mean, it is them. But Odin is there at the beginning and he turns up more at the end, but he's more of like a satellite kind of dude. Like he's he's in there when you're playing as Atreus, um, but he sort of represents, at least to me, um, this sort of dogged reliance on wanting more. And sometimes that comes through in a um, like an economic sense. I think sometimes that's a lot of the worst parts of capitalism, for example, even though like, whatever, there's a whole debate you can have on capitalism. But like there's that whole thing of making the numbers go up, getting bigger and bigger and bigger, um, things that kill creativity or satisfaction, things that just get in the way of realizing what you have in front of you. And there's that bit at the end when um, the idea of, you know, uh, Odin has been trying to see what's in this terror in reality for the whole longest time, and uh, Atreus just snaps the mask, which means the whole tear goes away. And um, Atreus sort of says to Odin, look, you know, we'll spare you kind of thing um, if you'll stop. And he says, I will never stop. I will never stop looking for something else. And I think for me, in that moment, I thought of all the out-of-control, ridiculous, global capitalistic realities of um, entertainment or um, you know, businesses. And not just, why have you always got to make the numbers go up? Why have you always got to get bigger? Why have you got to put more money into certain things? Why can't you be content with the families you have and the relationships you've built and what's right in front of you? And I thought of all that stuff. And I thought Odin kind of represented that to some degree because he has a family. He has a realm. He has all these kingdoms and he has all these people that he could help, but he's fascinated by getting bigger and doing more. I love that read. It's not one that I had in the game, but it's one that I love. Mm. And I think you're right that you can definitely read that into it. And I think it's just like, it's a good scathing commentary on that because. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. 
But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director, Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. Yeah, like one of the worst things in our society right now (laughs) is that idea of being obsessed with growth for the sake of growth in terms of capital gains, in terms of money, in terms of whatever. At the detriment of other humans. I've I've mentioned it so many times. I'm going to mention it one more time right now. Like the thing that broke my brain in completely change my perspective on industry in general Mm. was the report that came out about Activision that Jason Schreier wrote a few years ago. I think it was Schreier Mm -hmm. uh, where it said like the state of Activision and Call of Duty specifically is bad because they are so successful because Mm. they are so successful with their franchise and they're making like, you know, a billion dollars in a weekend with each game Mm -hmm. that doesn't give them the creative freedom or the kind of, you know, safety net to then go off and be creative and do what they want. Mm-hmm. It makes the the goalposts even narrower because the next game has to outdo that. And totally. how the hell do you outdo something that is doing ridiculous? Yeah. Like, why can't we just be content? Like you were saying, why does everything have to grow mm-hmm. for the sake of growth? Just to watch the numbers go up. Just to watch the numbers go Why can't we do great things with the insane success that we already have? And I think that is reflected in Odin. Uh, when I think it might be Sif or Freya kind of says to him, like, why do you want this power? Why do you want to see into the tear? And he says, well, I want to make the realms better. If I know everything, I'll have all this power. I'll be able to make everything better. And they kind of rightly call him out and say, but you're in charge now. (laughs) You have so much power now. Why can't you make things better with what you have? You're capable of making things worse. Why can't you just commit to what you have instead of being in this pursuit of more Mm -hmm. for more's sake and be good with what you have? When is enough is enough? Mm -hmm. And like you said, with his final words, he kind of proves that even if he got this power, even that wouldn't be enough. He would Mm. be in the pursuit of the next thing Mm -hmm. in that never-ending growth and kind of never being able to, like, take a breath, reflect, and then build what you have. It's always got to be in the pursuit of something at the detriment of everything else, all of his family members who he is failing with his actions, Mm -hmm. all of the realms that he is failing with his actions. So I love that you can read a lot into the arc, whether it's a personal thing Mm -hmm. within your own life, whether it's you kind of pursuing a career, for instance, I know we keep going back to that, but Mm. pursuing wealth or fame or whatever at the detriment of everything else, Mm -hmm. whether it's a more capitalistic comment on on industry and business kind of pursuing that growth at the detriment of the workers Mm -hmm. who may be like literally the Midgard workers who are working for Odin in this game, you know, reflected in that sense. I love, I don't know, I I think there's something really 
interesting about just that, his characterization. Yeah, just that dogged pursuit of more and yeah. not and not really, like I said, being able to quantify or qualify what you have, and then and not being more than enough, and uh, and doing right by the people next to you, and not always chasing something else. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you know, I'm not going to speak for you, Scott Telford, mm. but I think after the pandemic, right? After we're in this kind of weird, not the pandemic, obviously still going, but you know, we're in this yeah. kind of thing where the society is getting back to quote unquote normal. I, I made think, a shrug because I feel that's the general noise of right. the pandemic right now. It's, yeah. like it's there, but it's not. And the masks are on for some people and they're not. Let's say it's not really being, it's not being acknowledged, right? Yes. For instance, let's say that. And I think the kind of thing that a lot of people have decided in this kind of back to work uh, we've been through a pandemic um, ordeal is that, like, what's the point of an extra few grand a year? Like, yeah. to some, obviously, money is important, but when you get to, like, a certain thing, like, is it worth breaking your mental health over? Is it mm. worth having no life over? You know what I mean? Like, if you're in a situation where you can, you know, you're able to kind of not take on so much for a little bit in return, mm. like, would you do it. I think our parents' generation would say absolutely yes, anything to climb the career ladder, everything to get to the next step of progress. But I think, I don't know, I, I think now it's kind of like, right, well, what do we have? Is it enough? Do I really mm. need to make all of these sacrifices to get this tiny gain? I don't know. I mean, maybe that's because I'm speaking from a point of privilege where I can mm. be in a situation where I'm not, you know, working necessarily from paycheck to paycheck. And I'm not talking about this in that context. Mm. I'm just talking about, you know, weighing up the pros and cons of, you're give, the system is giving me very little in expecting me to sacrifice a lot. And yeah, I'm not I willing think, to sacrifice that anymore. Yeah, I think yeah, I think definitely a lot of people have had a lot of just genuinely acknowledging their own mortality conversations coming out of the pandemic. It's like that whole thing of like putting up with a job because it's like, well, it's not killing me. It's like, well, now it could kind of thing. Yeah. Um, or you could just die tomorrow. So is this really what you want to be doing? Um, and that changing a lot of like uh, value sets and what's w worth chasing and stuff. And then acknowledging the reality of I'm working an extra shift. I'm working extra hours. At what, what's this actually getting me other than I, in theory, look good in front of my boss that they don't even really acknowledge anyway. I'm not talking about specifically. <laughs> yeah. Genuinely not at all. Um, but I feel like that's a general thing that's been shared. And I've certainly had that in the past at previous jobs um, where you do extra hours hoping it means something and it doesn't. Whereas yeah. the thing that really means something is the family member waiting for you at home yes. or, um, or the friends that you were going to go meet or spending some um, time by yourself and doing something that you actually care about and not just doing the thing for the extra few hours. For me, it's not that every single facet of that is in the Odin thing, but I think enough of it is in there of chasing the next thing um, and not just acknowledging the stuff that's in front of you. I think that's what he comes to represent yeah. um, across the whole story. And I think specifically to Thor as well. Like, yeah. look at what Thor got out of this situation. Thor did everything he said, mm. and he's still getting called a lazy drunk has been. You know mm. what I mean? Like, I do think it reflects what we were just talking about there because, you know, you can do whatever... Odin wants you to, and Odin will not care because it, he only cares about himself, ultimately, yeah. at the end of the day. And he might give you little rewards here and there, but you might also end up like Thor, who mm. is, like, you know, completely just self-loathing in a situation where he's feeling like he's letting his family down mm -hmm. in that he can't, that he's, he's too... On, he's too committed to this guy who is treating him like trash. Well, that's another thing. Yeah, there's a whole bit when I forget which character, either it's Atreus or Thrude, says to Odin, you know, the way you talk to Thor, like, I think it's Atreus. It's like, why do you do that? And Odin just says, like, oh, you know, you try anything else and see if you get through to him. It's yeah. just like he's given up trying to parent or or guide properly. And then and had, I'd imagine he hasn't seen the reality of Thor being in the, uh, the tavern or whatever, drinking his problems away or dealing with his version of manhood or his version of whatever mold he thinks he's supposed to fit into. Um, and, like, and that's like a fascinating thing in itself. 
Um, any particular thing you want to touch on next? I, have, I was going to talk about combat and how much they reuse stuff and things like that, but I don't mind doing more thematic stuff. Um, if we stick on the thematics for a sec, because mm. we've been quite gushing, but there are things I don't necessarily like yep. in this story uh, that we've actually talked about in a video, but we'll flesh them out a little bit here. <laughs> I guess before we jump into like the negative stuff, should we talk about the tier twist? And we're talking like pure plot yeah, we can do. I, um, specifics, because I, I really like that, but same. I have some issues with it. You should probably do your issues with it, because I thought it was like a... When it happened, I dropped my jaw, and I was like, oh my god, that's like... Didn't see that coming, that's really cool. Um, at the time, like for most of the story, I was expecting Tia to do more stuff anyway. I was yeah. kind of good that they didn't do the conversation with him and Kratos talking about being their respective mythologies god of war. I still think that's something that could still happen, because the real Tia is out there after the credits, and you can find him and talk to him, but not about that. Um, so I'm hoping they do that at some point, or maybe there's something you can trigger that's out there somewhere. Um, but when he did that, I was like, okay, that almost retroactively gives him the agency and the story that I wanted, um, but not really in the way that I thought it would be. And I was right. like, that's kind of subversive in terms of the way that you advertised it and how much of a role Tia plays in the 2018 one in terms of the things you find yes. in uh, Tia's uh, vault and everything. So there is that side of it where I, I would have had a bit more. I kind of I kind of wanted more Odin, like as Odin, to be honest, even though, I, even though we just did about 15 minutes or whatever on Odin. Um, and his stuff is fascinating. But yeah, I would have want I kinda wanted more tier. I kinda wanted if you've got this wise person who's been to all the countries, all yeah. the realms rather, um, that to me is parallel to someone who's traveled a lot in their lives and who I can have a conversation with in real life about different cultures and different foods or whatever. I think that stuff is fascinating. Yeah. Like, so I wanted that from Tier. Me too, but I do like that they rob you of it by <laughs> making Auden Tier the whole time. Like mm. I thought that was one of the best twists in a game that I can remember recently right. because I love how it it gives you everything you need to know that this guy isn't who he says he is, but they explain them so well in, within the context of mm. his imprisonment, how he's changed, that you don't question them too much. Mm. Like, there were times where I thought, there's definitely going to be more to you because mm. you've spent too much in the background, and I know this writing team has something for you, but I didn't know what. Right. So when you get the reveal that it's been Odin, who has specifically been impersonating Tia to kind of bastardize his <laughs> legacy yeah. and make him out to be this coward... Uh, and completely piss all over the legacy that the real T had kind of established. Uh -huh. I loved that. And I think there's a line where Mimia says to Atreus, like, look, if Odin tells you Snow is white, he's lying. Right. And I love how he mixes <laughs> elements of the truth and elements of fiction with mm. his version of Tia to make you know that something's off but not know why. Right, and then right. when they pull the trigger on the twist, you're in Atreus' shoes where you're thinking if only I could have put two and two together and figured this out earlier. Mm. And I like that he addressed that, and I like even more that then Kratos says, oh, it was Mimir actually says that, look, he fooled everyone. Like, it's yeah. not your fault. He's just really good at this. And yes, he gives you enough breadcrumbs to make it feel like it's your fault. Mm. But ultimately, he's played you like a damn fiddle. He's played the characters. <laughs> he played you. And I think even in that moment where he kind of walks off and Brock is saying, look, there's something off about you. Mm. I thought, wow, maybe he's a double agent. Maybe right. he's been working for order. Maybe he's been brainwashed. Even in that moment, mm. didn't expect him to not be literally who he said he no. was. No, and then it's like, I saw that in the subtitle first because they reveal it. If you have the subtitles on, the name switches at the bottom first and then because of the way that it's framed, you kind of the camera pans up and you realize Odin's standing in the room with them. So I was like, that's a really cool reveal. Um, in terms of the um, the subversive stuff, like you referred to it as like, like a cowardly thing. I didn't necessarily take it as that. I took it as, like at the time, you're still thinking it's the real tier. And I liked it as a commentary on, you know, the, the uh, Greek god of war, obviously um, Ares and then Kratos, is full on, let's deal with everything by 
cutting the living hell out of it, and that's how I get to a solution. I like that a different version of God of War has ultimately given up on war yes. and has chosen pacifism or is a conscientious, a conscientious objector or whatever you want to call it. I like that that was his choice, and he's just like, I am literally just never going to do this again because that reflected the way that Kratos was becoming. And like, yes, he's still built like an absolute tank, but like Kratos wants to settle down, yeah. and he hates the fact that Atreus wants to go to war, and that Atreus is asking him, you know, stop thinking like a general and start thinking, sorry, stop thinking like a father and start thinking like a general. And uh, Kratos snaps at that and just says no. And I, I really like that the end point of inaction is what Tia is until that point when the twist comes off. And it's like, that's what inaction looks like, both to Atreus and Kratos. I think yeah. I think that stuff I, I really quite liked. Oh, dude. Like, for the most part. Don't get me wrong. I think everything you just said there is spot on. Okay. And I think that's how the game hides the twist because yes, you do totally. want to believe in that in that new way that he's bringing to the table. You do want to believe that he has committed to this life and that ultimately it will work out. I mm. say coward specifically, not because he's given up on war. Like right. I'm not some warmonger <laughs> over here. It's specific scenes that are off. For yeah. instance, when Atreus and Kratos meet up after he frees a uh, Gorm or Gam or whatever it is. Sure. The, the big the big, big the big wolf. Yes. Um in the closing the tear outside. Gorm, I think, yeah. Afterwards you see Tia come out and he's holding a shield. Yes. And I thought that was strange because it, it was it felt odd that Tia would cower inside, even though he's already killed someone in the story. He kills yeah. a dark elf earlier on in self defense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was off. And also the idea that who he was killing were dead monsters anyway. It's not like he was killing people. He's not, he was True. killing the dead. And he, I, just as I thought that felt a little bit off and felt a little bit cowardly, mm. the game actually addresses it because they have the sit-down conversation with Mamiya and who is Auden at the time, but mm. Tia. And Mamiya says, like, look, man, like, come on, our home was under siege. Like, they were dead anyway. Yeah. Why were you grabbing a shield and hiding inside? And Mamiya, as Odin, oh no, in Odin, as Tia, mm-hmm. goes, yeah, you're right. You know what, next time that happens, I won't do that. Mm-hmm. And I love how, when you have doubts like that, he has an explanation for it to kind of quell them. Like the writers knew that you might pick up 100%, on 100%, yeah. the writers knew, <laughs> and then they, they get you back in, and mm-hmm. they get you believing that this guy is the real Tia. Maybe that was just a blip. Maybe he was just, you know, acting cowardly in that mm-hmm. situation because he didn't know what to do, and he'll get better. Mm-hmm. Nope, it's all a big misdirection from Odin himself. It does work. Love that. Yeah, it works massively um, or majestically or whatever. I think, yeah, I liked it as a subversive thing of like this guy on on the Atreus side because I just, like I liked it as like, you know, you're putting all your faith in Tyr and then he's not what you thought he was and he's not the mythological version of him um, or the fabled version of him, which in itself is relevant to the idea of living up to prophecy and living up to the roles that have been set forward for him as like Loki or where Kratos fits into the murals or whatever. I think everything folds in on everything else, which is why it's such an incredibly well-woven tapestry of a game. Um, but yeah, that whole opening bit of um, just to talk about like that idea of like Atreus is putting so much of himself in finding Tia and then that backfiring. And then like then um, Atreus takes on the sort of qualities that you have from the beginning of the 2018 one where he just wants to get lost in hunting for a bit. Um, which we talked about in one of the other videos of like the idea that that whole back bit is kind of weirdly paced. And we'll not necessarily reiterate that, but we can if you want. But in terms of the um, the feel of those scenes, like, did you feel like that whole back bit was quite scattered? I thought it was like, now that we're back together, another reunion for me happened about 15 hours in. Yeah. But then I had about 13 to 14 hours of just solid, let's just absolutely cane this stuff. And I quite like the propulsive, the absolute fire that they have as a, as a new team. It's like, let's get stuff done with shared perspectives, like wisdom and 
impulsiveness in almost equal measure at that point. Me too, but mm. I do think it is almost too propulsive mm. in its final hours. For me, as much as I love the Tia twist, it's almost like the beginning of the end, literally, because ah. Ragnarok is around the corner, but also it's where the story gets a little bit spotty for me because after that, I do think plot points get a little bit rushed. Mm. You mentioned there the hunting scene, which mm. we talked about that I'll quickly reiterate. I think it does feel weird that after Brock dies, um, Kratos kind of says, look, me and you and Atreus, we're, we're done with this. Let's go off. Let's go back to our house. And they mm. do. And then five minutes later, he stops Atreus killing the deer. And he's like, actually, we should probably go back. Yeah. It felt like that needed a little bit of a breather. That's all I kind of wanted from the ending for mm. these next few plot points that we go rapid fire through, whether it's uh, going to Muspelheim to create Ragnarok itself or whether it's Sif realizing that she actually wants Odin dead and that she is on Atreus mm. and Kratos' side. Like, all the plot points still ultimately work. We just get through them a little bit too fast, I yeah. think, and I would have liked to have seen them breathe a little bit more and be as developed as a lot of the early game stuff mm. is. There's, yeah, there's stuff with Soda. Like, there are a few things that just, they, there's a few things in this in terms of the overall writing of it that they, I'm just going to use the term MCU. They MCU it to get through it. Like, you, you have Anger Boda just refer to anything she needs to do for the plot as just giant stuff. Yeah. And uh, it's cute enough and it works, but, like, it's still just a bit, like, I kind of wanted a bit more than that because if you parallel it with how incredibly well they explain Dwarven magic, which I think I absolutely love that whole thing. It's not the form, it's its nature. Yeah. And then and Freya, not Freya, but Freyur, says that um, he had a suit of armor made from a set of quills from a badger or something. And it's just like that idea of it's not the shape of it, but what they represent that you can tap into. And like that whole time across the entire opening of twenty of the entirety of 2018's game, we never knew how the dwarves worked or how they made stuff. Yeah. And it's that idea of like, can you combine the essence of something or tap into the essence of something? Um, and it's literally, like I said, everything folds into everything else, a representation of Kratos. It's what's in between what you see that makes him up. And it's just, I absolutely love that so much. And I was like, that reminds me of the way that magic works in The Witcher, where it's like everything has a will to it. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, if someone uh, dies at their wedding, then they'll come back because they died during the happiest day of their life. And they have some will there that can manifest as like a, an afterlife or something. And I just love the way that they explain dwarven magic. That was really, really cool. Um, but contrasted with MCUing things as just giant stuff or the the way that they do the Serta thing where he's it's almost like they recorded stuff beforehand of him pushing back and saying look I can't sacrifice my wife I can't um, you know take part in Ragnarok because I've been here all eternity and I want to be here with her because it's the only part of her that's left is her heart or whatever inside him um, or her spirit or something and then nothing really happens other than um, Kratos and uh, Atreus go to leave because they're like oh well we can't convince him yeah. and then they just have a scene where Serta goes are those, are those the blades of chaos on your back <laughs> because actually um, I've got a thing that I can do that works with those blades and then whatever and then it just it just they almost MCU it like yeah. his, his demeanor changes in that scene um, and he almost becomes like the the older MCU character who's just like ah whatever it's time travel ah whatever it's this thing and I just feel like I don't want writers overall to lean on that of like a wink wink nod nod to the audience of like we were going to get here anyway but we're just going to jump there right, um, right I prefer it more when it's like the dwarven thing where you make a point of explaining it properly me too and that kind of actually leads into the issue that I have with Sif scene where she like kind of turns good for lack of mm. a better term because that really stood out to me as one of the few actual missteps in the game not right. something that was just kind of like a little bit weird or not executed as well as it could but mm. like kind of bad and it's there's, there's very few 
things that this game does bad, mm. in my opinion, in mm. the Sif scene is one, because you get to this position where you're about to storm the walls of Asgard with Atreus, and you run into Throod, and you have this kind of back and forth where she's like, look, I'm not going to let you walk in there and fight my dad and kill my grandfather. <laughs> like, what's going on? Yeah. And then Atreus is saying, look... Odin's a bad dude. He's put these mid-guardians in our way to slow us down mm-hmm. and make us like fight them and be in conflict and whatever. Mm-hmm. And she's saying, no, no, you would never do that. You would never do that. And as she's saying, he would never do that. Sif literally comes off screen into the Just conversation out of nowhere with the mid-guardian child randomly, <laughs> that you, the one mid-guardian child that you know. Yeah. And she goes, actually, Throod, Look at this guy. That's exactly <laughs> what he was doing. And also, Odin's a bad guy. I've been saying this the whole time. Mm-hmm. We should go and take him out. And also, Trace, I think you're all right now, even <laughs> though the last time we spoke, I wanted you dead and my husband to kill you. Very Kratos, true. the guy who, you know, helped kill two of my children. I'm on your side now. No worries, it's just, man. It's, it's, it, it could work as a twist, and it still kind of does in the grand scheme of things if you don't think about it too hard, mm-hmm. but just the way it's executed there, when I'm talking about breathing room, that's the kind of development that needed a little bit more time in the oven, needed to be presented in a little... In a, in, a, in, a, in a different way because it doesn't it didn't work for I me. I do at remember, all. Uh, yeah, I remember thinking it was. It, that's the thing. If you have an ensemble cast where everyone is kind of they're not overacting, but they're like everyone is memorable. Everyone either has a visually distinct thing or they're acted in a certain way. And then it's like the gang's all here. It's like it is like a big ensemble finish, um, which is very in right now. Again, Marvel popularized that, and it's not like um, you know ever since the Avengers, and it's not like the end of Ragnarok. The game is very much like the end of a Marvel movie. It's, it feels a lot like the final fight in Endgame. Yeah, uh, down to like you know flying creatures in the back and everything um, but it kind of ties in with I don't know if you want to talk about this that much but like the whole the way the camera work is in this because that that reveal of like Sif walks in into frame yes. um, you were saying like you know going forward we did a whole bunch of videos on what might happen going forward um, that idea of you know should they ditch the one one take camera because it, it leads to things like this that are you can't really shoot them any other way no. if you're sticking to one camera that's here I think they should ditch the one shot gimmick after this game mm. because I think it's been an incredible experiment the first game executed very well mm. and this moment even elevates it in some sections like the transition between Kratos and Atreus sometimes when he's in Asgard and Kratos mm. is in the realms uh, between like they're done so well yep. I think this one shot camera perspective is so great for accentuating the character moments the emotion on someone's faces mm-hmm. putting you in the headspace of someone it's not good at all for visual storytelling on a grand scale though mm. I don't think it's very good at scale and when you get to those final sections when you're storming Asgard it's just not the right type of visual storytelling in my opinion because it's I can back that, often yeah. it'll, it's often kind of even illegible like the moment where you get to the Midgardians didn't sell for me because I no, could barely same. see what was going on I couldn't tell visually mm-hmm. that people were in danger and Ragnarok was coming to kill them specifically mm-hmm. like it was only until Atreus said and spelled it out that I fully understood what was going on in that section. And it's like, if you shot that different, you could convey the same information with more impact through visuals. But the confining nature of the camera just means that you don't quite get that uh, in terms of that broader strokes storytelling. Mm -hmm. So it's been a great experiment. I do think it's worked overall for these two games, but I would like to see a change in style for whatever comes next personally. No, I can back that. I think that one thing that I really like, because I don't necessarily want them to ditch it, I just need them to figure out ways of uh, of trying to find some innovative way of filming those scenes or shooting those scenes, whatever you want to call it, um, in a new way. Because I really like the the fact that if you literally play 2018 and Ragnarok back to back, it's one giant take for that entire 
clear game. Um, although I don't like that when you go into the, the magic gate thing, you get a white out. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, that, that would be a cut in, in a movie. Yeah. You could have hidden a cut there, quote unquote, if it was like a movie. Um, but the vast, vast majority is like one take. And I like that it is always Kratos and Atreus' perspective. I think if they did a thing, if they do another game, which Corey said that they're doing something else um, that seems to involve Jormungandr in some degree, go watch the video. Um, then maybe they like detach the camera then, because maybe that's what we're building to. The idea of the camera focused on one person throughout the first game, Kratos' perspective, and then uh, in Ragnarok, it starts to split and it shows you Kratos and Atreus. And then when there's full agency in the world of maybe we're following someone else entirely or maybe Atreus meets someone or whatever we do, maybe then we start having, we bring cuts in. Yeah. And maybe they make that a story element where something happens in the game um, that like, you know, shakes the camera so much that, I don't know, then we split and we follow other things. I don't know. I feel like they could do something cool with it yeah. um, and try and tie it in. Because it feels like the camera is almost a is almost you. It's a separate character in itself, even though it's not an actual body. That's true. I, I guess they could keep it. I just want to see what you were saying there, kind of like more variety in terms of what you can show. Don't make it just tied to one character. Mm. Maybe like I want to see more wide shots. Like for for a, for two games that are this grand in the terms of their storytelling, mm. in terms of the mythology you're looking at, mm-hmm. like. I need more wides. Jormungandr versus wides, Thor, guys. and you can't even see it. 100%. Like, barely. Yeah, I need, I, need, I need other things to be the focal point. Mm-hmm. I need you to shoot things in a more cinematic style in terms <laughs> of the action set pieces. There was just times, and maybe this is intentional, mm. during the assault on Asgard in particular, where I was, I was craving a God of War 3 style cameraman. Yes. I wanted to run up a big monster. Have I wanted, zoom all I wanted the way out. To zoom all the way out. I wanted to see <laughs> the action because whilst it's intentional that you're in this kind of claustrophobic camera for the most part. Mm. I do think it jars not in a good way when you get to those big battle scenes because there's there's no intent there, I don't think. Uh, well, there's intent, but there's no... It doesn't pay off. I think I think it's because they went so overboard with that stuff in God of War Ascension. Like, it was just yeah. like... Ascension was always the unwanted one anyway. It was the one where everyone got too sick of the gore and a lot of the, uh, the, the, the marketing before it was released. It was the one that had multiplayer. It was just the one that people just didn't want. And it's just it's very much like a guide-end side story anyway. Um, but that game, especially at the beginning, has tons of let's zoom out and show you what's going on stuff um, to a point where you can't even see what's going on. You are yeah. a tiny little, like, uh, mess of pixels being Kratos, but you still have full control. You're still taking damage, and it's still just like okay, you've gone too far. Like, this is, you've committed to this too much. Um, in the new one, I wonder if they just don't do it because the combat model would be weird if you disconnected the camera that much. If it zoomed all the way out and you retained control. Yeah. I feel like there's a middle ground because they do quick time events in this. There are really cool ones where you take down dragons or you're like punching one of those earth elementals in the chest over and over again. Um, and they just switch to a quick time event. But I, yeah. I don't know whether it's a creative choice or if it's a limitation of the tech because mm. when you go to the crater in Vanaheim, for instance, mm. one of the best areas in Maybe the, the game, area in, stuff, of the year. 100%. Yeah. And I was, I think that's so striking because about how open it is from the yeah. minute you get there, you see the entire landscape and it's flat mm-hmm. and it doesn't look like a corridor like a lot of the areas in the other realms do. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like I said, I don't know whether that was a design thing, whether they could have done that for every realm or whether it is a technical limitation of the PlayStation 4 not being able to render so much detail mm-hmm. at the same time. Or is the it engine. maybe what was originally God of War 3? And Maybe. then like, put into two. That's it. Like I, I, I really, know. I really don't know, but I would like to see more expanses. I would like to see it become less claustrophobic because I think it worked here. But I want mm. to go back to 
um, a little bit more variety in the camera work. Mm. Uh, that said, I do think there is one instance, particularly where the claustrophobic camera work works really well, if you'll permit me to move on. I will always permit you to move on. And that's when you have the fight with Heimdall, which is so good as Kratos. Yes. You kill Heimdall. That is one of my favorite parts of the game, because I think he is a particularly great antagonist. Yeah. The game makes you hate him so much. <laughs> the section where he's bullying Atreus and he's beating up Throod, it's like, you are a pre- piece of trash. Yeah. And it I love the hand that the uh, game plays by making you want him dead. Right. You want him dead so much, even though you know that's going to kickstart Ragnarok. <laughs> and it's like, man, I have the bloodlust that Kratos feels. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I want to get the catharsis of seeing you die, even though I know the consequences. <laughs> and I like how that's the moment where they also make Kratos... Um, appear to be the closest to his God of War 2 or 3 self. Mm. And you even get the parallel with him strangling Heimdall like he strangled, if I recall. Zeus? Zeus. Well, Uh, Zeus was like an in-the-eyes thing. That's in the eyes. But he strangled gods before, is the point. It's up close and personal. (laughs) It's like he is doing this again. He is reverting back to type. And and also, like, the act of strangling someone is one of the most primal things you could go for. There's no elegance in it. There's no, like, real discipline to it. He certainly wasn't taught that in Spartan school. It's just like it's a a full-on emotional reaction to, this is the guy that's going to kill my son, and I'm going to absolutely make sure that doesn't happen. That's it. And I like that, you know, all the way throughout that section, or at least for me, I was secretly hoping to see the old Kratos come out, even Uh. though I knew that would be detrimental to the entire world. And I almost think it's intentional in how Heimdall is presented uh, to support the idea that, you know, this feels like history repeating itself Mm. in Kratos. Because I do think that Heimdall as a character feels completely different from the other gods that you come across and is created in the vein of older God of War gods. Mm -hmm. He is very reminiscent for me of Hermes from the original trilogy. He's a god who is flashy, he is arrogant, he is powerful, and he is totally fine with flexing those powers Mm. in a way that I don't think Thor or Odin really are. Like, they are not that callous. Like, they can be cruel, but they they don't... Like, well, they bargain with Kratos at the very beginning. 100%, yeah, yeah 100%. The, go- the gods in the previous games would not do that. They no. would come in and try to kill him, you know They'll what blow I mean? the whole house away and then be like, you stay there. Absolutely, and <laughs> I think Heimdall is cut from that same cloth mm. intentionally because in that moment, it's feeling like an older God of War game. You're getting this rage out of Kratos. Mm. He is being reckless. He wants the bloodlust to come to the fore uh, despite the consequences. In the previous games, he's literally tanked all of Greece uh, through that <laughs> bloodlust, and he... Uh, he is there's a threat that he might tank all of Norse mythology mm. as well, and he manages to rein it in in the end, but you get flashes of it, and I I, I, I just love that confrontation. There was a great point from, because in that regard, I love in 2018's one when he goes down to Helheim, might be Niflheim, one of the two. They're almost the same realm. Yeah. Sorry, Helheim and Niflheimians, but it's almost the same thing. And um, when he has, to t- he has to retrieve the Blades of Chaos to go down there, and then he kills that big creature, and they have that great moment. Its camera work's really good too, where they yes. slowly zoom out from him. Um, starts really tight and zooms out, but he realizes that he has become the old him. He has the blades and he's just killing something and he has to go into the guts of it to retrieve something. Yeah. I think because they did that, they almost he almost can't let himself go there again. Um, but there's a great point. I should know the, the dude's name, but it's in the most recent um, PlayStation video on the game. Um, it's called, because uh, the original documentary was called Raising Kratos. I think this one's called Becoming Kratos. Um, and you have all the different Kratos voice actors. Um, Chris Judge, obviously, for the Western release and various other ones for the around the world, which is great. I love the idea of hearing Japanese Kratos. It's yes. so cool. Um, stuff like that's really, really awesome. Um, however, they also have, um, or as well as, they also have 
um, the dude that does the motion capture for the various moves that Kratos has. And that guy says that the um, when he does like a big arcing swing, like from almost like on a clock, it's like two o'clock to eight o'clock kind of thing, um, or ten till four or whatever. Um, he starts in a, in, a, in a disciplined place and he ends in a disciplined place, but there's so much swing in the middle where the that's that's the Kratos fury. Right. And he lets himself go when he does that. He's like, that's what we motion captured. Is like when Kratos is like fully swinging, fully shouting, and everything. That's the old Kratos, but he comes back and he and he retrains it, and it's every one of those big swings Love is that. that mix of the old and the new him. And I think that's an incredible way to think about it because um, the combat does have so much viscerality to it. And I absolutely love, um, just as an old school God of War uh, mentality, that when you beat like a berserker or anything that's just causing you an, an, an annoyance, you will absolutely kick the living S out of it yeah. or whatever, just being nice because we're on a podcast, kick the living hell out of it. Um, and even just beheading a berserker or cutting them, like cleaving them so their head and arm both comes off. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you deserve that for putting me through the last half an hour of trial and error. Um, and I love that Kratos can have that and then just can redeem himself, uh, can uh, recompose himself yeah. and then just chat again with whoever's next to him because he's he's harnessed both sides of it. I think that uh, in itself is the evolution of him. I did not know that, but I like that Same. a lot. And I do like thematically that he does always come back around to being better. He yeah. might lose himself or have a little bit of a wobbly here and there, <laughs> but even in the Heimdall fight, like he loses himself, but at least he loses himself for the right reasons mm. at that point. He doesn't just go straight to the murder. He mm. gives Heimdall a chance. He blows off his arm. He says, like, stop it. Like, yeah. We need to be better. And it's only when Heimdall says, no, it's similar to Atreus and Odin, where mm. Odin says, like, I would never stop. Mm. Heimdall essentially says, listen, I'm never going to stop hunting you. You're going to have to put me down. Yeah. And it's only until Kratos has no choice that then he... He murders him dead. Which is almost like the runaway, endless version of pride, where like nothing can really satisfy pride. And he's been wounded, his ego's been wounded, so Heimdall will always chase him down to try and make right. Um, I think as well, as like a, a final point on the um, the violent stuff as well, like that whole thing of like, you know, losing yourself and recomposure and, and, and choosing when to use violence. I think that in itself is evident in gaming. You very yeah. rarely get games that are gore first now, um, like Mortal Kombat, like Doom. I mean, that's one of my favorite games of all time. I love gore in games. Like, give me that left, right, and center. Um, but I feel like in more mature works or bigger blockbusters or whatever there's more there has to be more of a justification for why uh, overblown violence is used and that can be really really effective and i feel like a lot of the bigger titles in the industry have have learned that and i feel yeah. like they you know they they have a better utilization of violence and gore it comes alongside other things it can't just be over the top for the sake of it like old school mortal Kombat or like carmageddon or like that hatred game from like 2017 or whatever um i feel like that in itself is a like living evolution of the conversation god of war started in 2018 yeah i think i love it Totally right, especially like lot. just with the idea, like yeah, justifying that violence and like why do we want to see it? There are games where you know there are God of War games where mm. it's like, yep, yeah, we can just pretend this is, uh, you know, has has no real consequence. It's just fun. It's just a power trip. Mm. But what happens when we contextualize it in a game like this where yeah. we are commenting about violence? We can't just slip back into old habits because we've established now that that has consequences <laughs> and bad things happen when you do that. So we need to kind of like, we need to be better or mm -hmm. we need to justify it or we need a reason with it. And it's not that the violence can always be, uh, it's all, not always a bad thing, mm. but uh, it's a last resort. Yeah, it's like cases. it's a tool to be used. I mean, uh, I think that's one of the, why I love where Kratos ends up at the end. It's like he's going to become the ruler. Or he is like the new ruler of the realm. It's like what Faye sort of sought out for him the whole time. And it is a place for his disciplines to be used, to go <sighs> forward. And he's going to be better, but he's going to help the realm. He's not going to devote it to the wrong thing. Can we talk about that moment? I want to talk about 
two things very quickly if mm-hmm. I can. First is the crater area that I've talked about and alluded to previously in this conversation, but mm-hmm. specifically Faye's story during that. Like, you never see Faye, Kratos' yes. wife, um, in the flesh in that section. But you're hearing stories about when she was there mm-hmm. last. And I love the story that they spin of her defending this place years ago against a drunk Thor who can't even <laughs> remember that he fought her at no. all. Uh, in that they have left this frozen lightning bolt like you leave at the start of the game when you first uh, take on Thor. And I just, I love, one, I love the story itself. The fact that Faye was, you know, defending this land against mm. these gods long before Kratos had to come and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. But secondly, that she did all this and more or less kept it to herself. It was something that she didn't reveal to mm. Kratos. Mm-hmm. And it was a part of her life that, you know, she didn't share. And I love the idea that no matter how close you can be to someone, you don't know everything about them. Yeah. You know, there are, there are things that they will keep to themselves, rightly or wrongly, mm-hmm. because you can never have... What's that everything everywhere all at once quote where I think the mother says, like, only give 90% of yourself to someone. Always Ooh, keep 10% of yourself uh, for yourself. And right. I thought that was kind of reflected in some of these stories where it's like, yeah, we're together, but I, at the end of the day, I am my own person. Yeah, you're still, still your agency. Yeah. yeah, I have my own history, and it's up to me whether I want to share that. And I think the that's thing... reflected a few times. Oh, sorry, no, just no. to quickly go into how it's also reflected in Mamiya in Sigurd's relationship yes. when you do that side mission, and Mamiya also finds out something about this woman that he was in love with that mm. she didn't share with him in both... Kratos and Mamiya get that experience of, oh, these people that we loved and we thought we knew everything about still ultimately were their own people with their own lives before mm-hmm. we met them. They existed and did things that they weren't willing to share. Mm. And our whole journey together, if they got a whole journey together, would have been eventually unearthing all of those things. But unfortunately, the time was cut short. <laughs> no, that's the thing I uh, I love on the side of the, the face stuff, because she's only in a couple of dream sequences. Memorable, because obviously it's Deborah Ann Wool, who I love in Daredevil. And obviously, the whole time we've been so curious what Faye looked like and what their history was like. And I like the flashbacks that you get, where like, obviously they're dreams, but then assuming that they are literally what happened, where like, even Kratos isn't really that bothered that his son's been born. Like, you know, uh, Faye's holding them. Uh, holding Atreus and sort of saying, do you want, do you not want to talk to your son? Um, which even then is a great starting point for his arc as a father. Um, but I just love the way they like play that out, which is nicely contrasted against what you find out in the Kratos, Kratos section, that she wasn't this almost angelic figure. She sort of did have this warrior history to it. It, it was her axe. Um, and like, yeah, that she had this sort of like big fight that she didn't want to talk about. Um, and Kratos says, I, I didn't even see that side of her at all. And it's like, yeah, that idea of like projecting a certain version of yourself to someone. Um, there's like a real Chris Rock joke about the first time you meet someone, you're meeting their representative and you'll meet like the real them over time. And I, like it's, it's it's like similar to that. And I feel like that's just, even that is like, Kratos has that, you know, I don't have the monopoly on this relationship in, in a yeah. way. Like, and he's always trying to like figure Faye out anyway and all the different teachings that she left behind. But it almost gives more purpose to um, everything she set in motion after she died. And I think it helps him understand Atreus more because yeah. Atreus, a few times in the story, uh, when he has made promises to people to not like share their story with Kratos, like Kratos is like, tell me. And he's like, no, you had <laughs> secrets. My mom had secrets. Like, I'm allowed to have my own secrets. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. think, you know, Kratos, as he goes through the journey, realizes that that's totally fine. Like, mm. the people sometimes need to have their own things that they don't share, mm-hmm. and that's uh, totally cool. But I do like the fair thing as well, because I think Mamiya comments on it that, like, you know, her rage helped destroy this entire like valley. She's resp- almost just as responsible as Thor, 100%. Like, to some degree. Yeah, and I like that. It, it makes you understand why her and Kratos 
were together, even <laughs> if they don't acknowledge that similarity. That similarity was there, that they were these rageful people capable of destruction mm. who were trying to be better and settle down and not be who they used to be. And I was like, that's such a neat connection. And I think that's that a really, like... I didn't even know they had. Yeah, I think that's a really lush, like, assumption as w- of what she saw in him as well. Like, yeah. it's that whole... Because they don't really ask that question. I, I think, actually, I think Atreus jokes about it. What did mom even see in you? Yeah. Um, at one point. Because it's one point when the... Like, uh, Atreus and Mimir, especially when you were exploring Vanaheim, make lots of jokes about how Kratos doesn't say much. Um, even though I'd say he nearly always has something to say. But whatever. Like, there is there is that bit. and um, But it is that general thing of, like... Um, whatever their meeting was like, but like Faye does see a, a similar kind of person in Kratos, like totally. someone who has battle scars in their eyes. Like I think that that is like a, a really good little uh, wrinkle to their relationship, a relationship that you barely see. It's always just hinted at, especially in the original game. Um, and even this, like I said, you get a couple of dream sequences. But I think the, that whole idea of like doing another game and flashing stuff out, it's like, is Faye maybe the protagonist? Is that something that they do? Because the thing that Cory Barlog is teasing is that we'll get more Jormungandr stuff. Yeah. And it's like that would relate to her if we're doing different points in time. Um, so I think that's fascinating. I think you said you had one more thing. Gonna I was on. just going to talk about the um, Sindri uh, mm. characterization. Adam John the Harrington, game. absolute goat. 100%. But we've already talked about this in the video that we did on why the ending is a little bit divisive, so I won't go into it too much. Mm. Just other than to say, I love how they depict someone dealing with grief in that situation where this guy is blaming Kratos and Atreus. And mm-hmm. yes, it might be a little unjustified, but also... Like, he's totally... <laughs> it's human, though. It's human, yeah. you know what I mean? He's totally... It makes sense that he would think that, and you can't be angry at him for thinking mm. that because he's in this raw situation where he did literally invite all of these strangers into his house. He trusted them, and that got his brother killed, and it might not have been their intent, but it kind of goes back to the theme of intent versus consequence that's talked about at the beginning. Yep. It was with good intentions that they were all gathering in that house, mm-hmm. but the consequence was they let this snake in who ultimately got <laughs> their friend and Sinji's brother killed, and of course he's going to be absolutely fuming about that. Of course he's going to hold grudges against Atreus and Kratos for that, because if he just stayed out of all of this, his brother might still be alive. Mm. And I like that there's a complexity to that where it's like, yes, he is reacting aggressively, but you can't fault him for it. And I love that Atreus doesn't end things on good terms with him. Like, he tries to apologize, but Mm. in that situation, that early on, an apology isn't enough. Like, come back in, like, a month's time, a year's time, where time has allowed it to heal and Mm. maybe we'll get somewhere. But right now, words aren't enough. I'd absolutely love, um, it's like there's a lot of good eye acting in this yeah. and it's like, there's a lot in, there's, I like that whole, there's that whole thing of like, you know, I mean, I think they, I'm thinking of different quotes where people mention like stories being told through someone's eyes or like how much um, experience or wisdom is in someone's eyes. And there's a lot of sadness and uh, regret maybe in people's eyes in this, which is an unbelievably human quality to imbue a digital creation with. Um, But look at Kratos' face. Look at his eyes when he's looking at the beam of light when he's in uh, Anaheim the first time. Alfheim, sorry, the first time. Anaheim's a place in Canada or something. I think it is, yeah. No, that's not where he was. And uh, yeah, when he's in one of the realms. I think they do a lot with that. And there's so much, um, the way that they just drain the life out of Cindy on that, at that end after Brock passes and um, because in himself you find out that he put Brock's like soul back together he like yeah. found it was like three or four pieces or something he didn't finish his fetch quest but he did as much as he could what a brutal end for Brock as well man yeah. he's not only died he doesn't exist anymore I hate that little oh because he's already come back yeah and reformed yeah. I'm Amiya says like because he didn't have his full soul because mm-hmm. Sindri only got three of the four pieces it means 
that soul in its complete form can't find its way to an afterlife, so it just, he doesn't exist. And mm-hmm. I love that in Sindri's characterization. It's not explicitly stated, but he must be feeling some self-loathing for that. Mm-hmm. The fact that he could only get three of the four pieces, and now when he has died, which he was always going to do, he just doesn't <laughs> get to move on. He gets to just stop existing. That must be, that must be brutal to deal with if you're Sindri. Yeah, because I think it's really good because you have that general idea of what does death mean in this overall canon because in like, it's a weird thing because obviously in the older games, it was just like, well, Kratos is such a badass. He climbs out of hell and just comes back. If you've got enough willpower, you can climb out of death somehow. And they kind of replicate that in this where like certain souls when they die go to Niflheim and like you find the Odin's ravens in the end game or you find like obviously all the um, Inner Hajar, whatever you call that, that um, uh, the soldier people, platoon of people <laughs> that are going after you. They're all sort of like reused spirits kind of thing that yep. Odin's brought back. Um, but to then be like, okay, so death means nothing. And it's like, we're doing this whole thing with the prophecy and, and Ragnarok and everything, but we're all just going to come back anyway, or there's a way for us to come back. But then for them to explain like, you know, you, your soul will go to this place and you can wrench parts of that back. It's almost just like a second life thing. But if you die again, you are gone forever and there's nothing. Yeah. Um, I think it's also, it is good to sort of reinforce the rules of the world in that way and say that like death does matter. Yes. Um, because obviously that's why the life matters so much. Um, and just, and you get that from Brock as well. You get those different things where he's like, you know, people think that I'm dumb, but I'll tell you this riddle, which like, you know, like knocks everyone sideways until the very end, which again, we covered in the other video, but that whole idea of like, um, what gets bigger than what you take away um, is a whole. And uh, that whole idea of that representing the different parts of the characters um, that are unfulfilled, whether that's like um, Atreus's purpose or Kratos's emotions or whatever. I think that that's incredible. That's yeah. incredible writing. Like, and it's threaded through the whole game. And it's just like, it's a, it's a hell of an achievement. It is a hell of an achievement. And like I keep reiterating, man, like I didn't expect it to hit so well on the writing front. And mm. you would be here talking about the law and you would be talking about Kratos as a dad. But the amount of stuff this game touches on is incredible. Which we haven't is even why... talked about the horn. See, this is why the horn don't matter, right? The horn don't matter at all. I, I appreciate that people care a lot about the horn. I care about the horn, but totally, not that much. That's it. But the reason I don't care about the horn is because when I'm talking about this stuff, <laughs> the horn don't factor in. The horn oh. doesn't inform any of this stuff and it's like, it's cool, they could have done more with it, but they don't need to because the thematics is where it's at. And let's end on where Kratos ends in this game, yes. which is the realisation that he could be a god that people worship. And I love this Scott Telford because... I think he thinks of himself as a person though. He does. Yeah, He 100% does. But he, I think he at the end he thinks of himself as a person who can do good and yes. can change things for the better. Whereas in the 2018 game, and even at the start of this game, he doesn't want to because he views mm. himself as someone who can only destroy and he wants to look after his family and he doesn't want to be a general because he views being a general in a totally negative light is inflicting pain upon the lands. Mm. And we get that great scene with, I think, Heimdall, where Heimdall says, you know, you do not understand even what it means to be a god. Who mm. would worship you? And you know that Kratos absolutely thinks that. Who would worship me? I destroyed an entire land. I treated people terribly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I can barely look after my son. So to end up in a situation where he sees the final mural and it's people looking up to him, it's him being an inherently good person and a good influence, not only on his son and his friends, but on all of the realms. Mm. And like you said earlier, five years ago when we started this conversation (laughs) um, about like the the cracks in the armor, like to get him 
in that moment where he actually properly breaks down yeah. for the first time because he's looking at a reflection of himself that he couldn't have even comprehended at the start of the game. Mm-hmm. What a place to end for this character, and it's so good. I almost hope we never see him again because <laughs> it's such a good ending for him. No, man, I that's the thing. Like as, as much as I like love the gameplay systems and I trust this writing team, and I I, re- I like the dynamic they have where Corey Barlow kind of took a step, not necessarily back but above or whatever, to become creative director and let Eric Williams step in as director. I like the idea of almost George Lucasing it and seeing what other teams of people can do with these characters going forward. At the same time, I love where he is now. Yeah. And as much as that um, that mural is, is obviously painted by Faye, so it's like he has a reflection. Like you said, he breaks down. He has a reflection on his own relationship and everything that he's learned to that point. But it's that general thing of like, is that mural representative of what he immediately walks into? And it's all the realms looking to him to help clean stuff up because you do get those missions of go clean up the remnants of Asgard that have popped up everywhere. And there's various end game things that you can play. Or is that a mural of him after he's died? And that's the that's his final end point that he's looking at. And, and he knows in that moment that he will be revered the right way that it his life wasn't wasted and that yeah. like that it will be okay because these murals will always come true to some degree i think that's that's a great little interpretation or a wrinkle of that final scene um, and he will set off and do the right thing, and you will do that as him for as long as you can until you turn the game off. But like in between when you turn in the game off and that actual mural coming true, that's him finally being revered. I like that as well, because he, to be honest, at the end of this game, while he's made the start to unite the realms and while he's done a lot of good, mm. he has a lot of work still to do. Yeah, you know, yeah. There are probably a lot of realms that don't like this guy. Because <laughs> one, he walked into Alfheim and killed the Dark Elf King in the first game. There is that. You know, just annihilated him. Was like Freya's gone as well, so there's no... <laughs> Yeah. No, their little celebrity Eve crush guy. No, one hundred percent. He also did, you know, really do a lot of damage to Asgard. Got a whole realm killed. <laughs> admittedly, you know, maybe that was the lesser of two evils. What mm. I'm saying is, you know, it's not that he's immediately going to become renowned, but it's mm. what you said. It's the fact that you know, one day he will be, and more importantly, he believes that one day he will be yeah. now, rather than rallying against it or thinking that he can't. Yeah, and I think it, it all ties in with that idea of how much of this will come true, which in itself was what the Ragnarok's plot always was. Um, and like that whole thing where he says, you know, um, fate will only bind you if you let it. And I think like he will do right and yeah. it might line up, but he will do right regardless. I've just thought of an extra wrinkle to that. that I love the wrinkles. That has made me love it even more because yeah, you're right. These murals aren't, you know, set in, well, they're kind of set in stone, but it's not like people can see the future. You know, the norns say that your actions are just so predictable, we know where you're going to go. And I love that Kratos is in a position now where his actions are so predictable, but he's going to be predictably good, if that makes (laughs) sense. He is on the path now to yes. be doing good things and those predictable actions aren't going on a rampage and killing people. It's more in character, more predictable for him where he is to ultimately do good in this world. I think as well we have our first, as far as I know, we have our first redemptive like icon, like our first like redemptive hero. Hmm. Um, and there's a whole thing with God of War where it's like, you know, he, he can't escape the past and he, he has the past and it's not like they're trying to like um, say, well, that stuff didn't matter. And like the fact that he, because he did kill people. There's people <laughs> that you kill to solve puzzles in God of War 3, just innocent people. Um, but still, it, like, th- that whole thing of how much mileage is there in redemption and that's obviously part of his character arc and everything is just kind of a fascinating reality of where that character is. Like he'll be one of the faces of PlayStation. Like he just is. Like, and it's like, but if you play the games and you know that the, the entire span of that of that character then part of one of his greatest qualities is believing that that character has some redemption to even view him as a playstation icon or something to be looked upon positively yeah like and how much does that bit at the very end where he breaks down it's like does he finally let himself crack for a second to be like i'm all right i'm okay like i'm gonna be okay yeah and he's never thought that in 17 years sorry i'm 17 years in the game out of games and you know for me in my head canon why he thinks that yes he has been kind of convinced that he can 
do good. But when Atreus and Kratos reunite, they say that they have been the worst versions of themselves because mm. they don't have each other. Mm. And they vow in the future that when they're alone, they will make a point of hearing the other in their yeah, head yeah, and yeah. thinking about what they are saying. And I think, for me, in that moment, when he's looking at the mural of himself, he's probably still thinking, even after all this, like, that can't be me. But in my yeah. head, I'm thinking that he's hearing Atreus' voice going like, no, you yeah, can't. Yeah, it is. You can't. That's you. <laughs> you can be, I believe that this could be you. Yeah, I also love just, I mean, we will eventually wrap this pod, but I do love that that scene is just for him. I like yeah. that no one else is there. Um, mainly because Mimir's not there. <laughs> but mainly I like it because it genuinely is just for him. And it's something that Faye, I guess, knew he only he would see. And I think that that's just a really good moment for as much as this has these big ensemble moments in this gigantic overblown fight in Ragn- uh, for Ragnarok, you can still have a really good grounded character moment for him. Um, and it's great, and obviously you go, but you then go back out into the end game and everything. Um, but yeah, overall, God of War Ragnarok, a hell of an achievement. Good game, man. Very good, good game. game. Good, good game. game. I right. know. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. And uh, yeah, the the whole fight for game of the year or whatever, like this is grander than that. This is one of those one of those experiences, one of those just pieces of entertainment, pieces of art that you just should go experience, mm-hmm. whether it's this year or whatever. It just it's a it's a great achievement across yeah. the board. Um, I have no ending for this other than I love God of War Ragnarok. Me too. And I loved it more than I expected to, Scott Tilford. Mm. And yes, it's not perfect, but what is it? <laughs> I mean, does it matter when it's this good? Well, that's exactly what I say about this podcast. So this <laughs> is the Wind Up Podcast. I've been Scott Tilford. You've been Josh Brown. <laughs> Always a pleasure, Scott Tilford. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you. And we'll catch you next week. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>